Our New Testament lesson for this third Sunday after the Epiphany comes from Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, the sense of, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the, in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administra- administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. And our gospel lesson and sermon text from the day comes from Luke's Luke's gospel, chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. Let me just remind you, this is God's word to us, and it's given to us because he loves us. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and reported by him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in the synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found a place where it had written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the roll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the gospel of our Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the reading and now the preaching of your word, that you would... Speak to us, speak to our hearts, speak to our souls, because yours is the voice that we need to hear above all others, the voice of love. 
We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry, for some reason today, that plastic is just bugging me. So I'm coming out here. I think we're far enough away from each other. One of my favorite movies of all time is David Fincher's Fight Club. What's the first rule about Fight Club? Thank you. Thank you, Margaret. You don't talk about Fight Club. The movie stars Brad Pitt and Ed Norton and Helena Bonham Carter and had a very special supporting cast performance from one Marvin Lee Aday. But you know Marvin by a different name. Anybody know? Meatloaf. Good. Thank you, Janet. Meatloaf, who sadly passed away this past week at the age of 74. I remember the first, the first time it dawned on me, probably the second or third time watching Fight Club, I've seen it probably about 10 times, um, that the guy who's saying, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that, is the same guy as Bob in Fight Club. I mean, it just blew my mind. I had no idea. So I'll try not to spoil the movie for you, because I hate when people spoil movies for me, so I'll generalize what Fight Club is about. It's about wanting to hit the reset button. It's about wanting to hit the reset button on 20th century life as we know it in the Western Hemisphere, and particularly in North America. It's about recognizing that perhaps the things that we are giving our lives to, such as, and I'll quote from the movie, flipping through catalogs wondering what kind of dining set defines me as a person. That perhaps the things we give our lives to isn't what is most important. But that we are so deeply submerged seduced and intertwined with these narratives, it takes something forceful or traumatic or subversive to wake us up from our trance, such as getting punched in the face a lot, repeatedly, or other methods for producing a hard reset on what it means to be human. What in the world does this have to do with Jesus in the gospel? Well, I will tell you, Jesus, as was his custom on the Sabbath day, and I'll refrain from giving a sermon about weekly church attendance here, I'll leave that for later, he goes to church on the Sabbath day, and he takes an opportunity to read scripture, and he chooses a passage from Isaiah 61, which let me read that for you again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus says that he has come to preach good news, that he has come to announce the year of the Lord's favor, i.e., the reset button. You see, the year of the Lord's favor certainly refers back to the people of God's history when they were about to enter into the promised land. They had been delivered out of hundreds of years of slavery, slavery in Egypt. They have had their mass exodus from Egypt, wandering around in the wilderness, and they're getting ready to enter into finally the promised land. But before they get there, God laid down some ground rules for what flourishing human life would look like. And if you go and read Leviticus 25, you find that they were instructed 
Every 49th and 50th years, they were to let the land lay fallow. And if you want to know some of the ancient wisdom of this practice, oh, Google, in 60 years there will be no more topsoil on the earth. And read that terrifying article. And then in the 50th year, would be known as the year of Jubilee. The reset button. Because what would happen, the year of Jubilee, was to be a time of liberty for all the inhabitants of the land. God had freed his people from slavery in Egypt. He did not intend for his people to be enslaved ever again. And that year of Jubilee was a time of restitution of all real property. All hereditary property was returned to the family of which it was originally given so that people, even irresponsible people, who was their own fault that they lost their family land, would languish in poverty forever. Every 50 years, the reset button. This was neither socialism, which is receiving according to need, nor capitalism, according to ability. It was a reminder that the earth and everything in it belongs to God and not mankind's wants and desires. And the reason the prophet Isaiah is referencing the year of Jubilee or the year of the Lord's favor is that one of the reasons that the people of God had fallen under judgment and were getting punished with the exile for that judgment was that they had failed to keep the year of Jubilee. But Isaiah says God has not forgotten. He still intends to reestablish justice and restore the world to its proper condition, and he will do so this time through a person, his anointed one. And if you know, anointed means Christ, the Christ. And so Jesus goes to church. And he says he has come to bring the year of Jubilee, the year, the day of the Lord's favor, when the world and humanity will be made right again. And he says this is good news. I'll say, I could use a year of Jubilee. Could you? I could certainly use the year of the Lord's favor after the last two plus years. Our family therapist recently said that the past two plus years, we as a country have all experienced our good share of collective trauma. But for those of us who live in New York City, we are drowning in it. Does that sound right to you? We need this good news because the bad news of COVID and cancer and fires and invasions and genocide and abuse and neglect and pain and sorrow and loss are all around us. Jesus reads Isaiah 61. He rolls up the scroll. He looks at these people that he has gone to church with his entire life and says, I am the anointed one. I am the Christ. This return to Jubilee, this year of the Lord's favor, starts right now. And then he basically drops the mic. Not in a little while, not tomorrow, not next year, not a thousand years from now, today. This prophecy is fulfilled. Now, the reboot may take a while, but the point is the reset button has been pressed. And Jesus wasn't just spiritualizing these debilitations. He didn't just mean the spiritually poor. 
the spiritually captive, the spiritually blind, the spiritually oppressed. He, of course, did mean all of those, but he meant the actual poor, the actual captive, the actual blind, the actual oppressed, because that is good news. Because if he only meant a spiritualization of what is broken, then that would mean being actually broken doesn't matter. It sure feels like it matters to me. Good news that to actually do something about what is broken and sad and painful in this world is not good news. Because it says the world doesn't matter. So who cares about topsoil? Even if lots of scientists say that's a hoax anyway. Who cares about cancer? Who cares about clean water or clean food, righteous judicial systems, economic disparity, racism, violence mankind commits against each other on a daily basis, self-interested politicians? Why care about any of those things? If Jesus didn't come to actually proclaim good news to the poor and set captives free and give sight to the blind and give liberty to the oppressed, then why care about all the beautiful kindness and goodness and amazing sacrificial acts of everyday heroism just to get up and go to work and do a good job and be kind to your neighbor and visit the sick and enjoy good food and drink around our tables and watch our kids grow up and celebrate all the things that they do and laugh and cry and grieve and give thanks with one another. If Jesus didn't come to do all those things, then why care about any of that? But he did do all those things. Which gives a great big affirmation that this world and what happens in it matters to God. Because the Christ, the one in whom the whole world was created and in whom the entire creation is held together in this interconnectedness that is both beautiful and actually quite terrifying when you think about it. He went to church one day and said, Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is why we help put homes back together after Hurricane Sandy. This is why we bring meals to one another when we are sick or hurt. This is why this church is volunteered at the Park Slope Armory Women's Shelter. It's why it's volunteered at the St. Augustine's Food Pantry for years and years and years. It's why we partner with Safe Families for Children in New York City. It's why we should not only sponsor Janet as she runs in the half marathon to raise awareness for Safe Families for Children, but we should also ask her how else we can be involved in proclaiming and being good news to families who need to hear and see and taste and touch that Jesus promised the year of the Lord's favor has already begun. We're already in it. Friends, that is good news. Because it means that whatever comes, you're already in the year of the Lord's favor. So come what may, even if it hurts, it will be good. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's respond to God's Word by confessing our faith together using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I ask you, brothers and sisters, in whom do you trust? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ.